Chapter Six of the Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas, translated by Alfred Allenson, eighteen fifty-two to nineteen twenty-nine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter Six: The Bedeviled Hare. The huntsmen, being reassured with regard to their master's health, now went in search of the dogs which had been left to carry on the chase alone they were found lying asleep the ground around them stained with blood it was evident that they had run down the buck and eaten it if any doubt on the matter remained it was done away with by the sight of the antlers and a portion of the jawbone the only parts of the animal which they could not crunch up and which had therefore not disappeared in short they were the only ones who had cause to be satisfied with the day's work the huntsmen after shutting up the hounds in thibault's shed seeing that their master was still sleeping began to turn their thoughts to getting some supper they laid hands on everything they could find in the poor wretch's cupboard and roasted the goat politely inviting thibault to take a share in the meal towards the cost of which he had not a little contributed he refused giving as a plausible excuse the great agitation he still was under owing to marcotta's death and the baron's accident he gathered up the fragments of his beloved drinking-cup and seeing that it was useless to think of ever being able to put it together again he began turning over in his mind what it might be possible for him to do so as to free himself from the miserable existence which the events of the last two days had rendered more insupportable than ever the first image that appeared to him was that of agnoletta like the beautiful angels that pass before the eyes of children in their dreams he saw her figure dressed all in white with large white wings floating across a blue sky she seemed happy and beckoned to him to follow saying the while those who come with me will be very happy but the only answer which thibault vouchsafed to this charming vision was a movement of the head and shoulders which interpreted meant yes yes agnoletta i see you and recognize you yesterday it would have been all very well to follow you but to-day i am like a king the arbiter of life and death and i am not the man to make foolish concessions to a love which only born a day ago and which has hardly learnt to stammer out its first words to marry you my poor child far from lessening the bitter hardships of our lives would only double or treble the burden under which we are both born down no agnoletta no you would make a charming mistress but a wife she must be in a position to bring money to support the household equal in proportion to the power which i should contribute his conscience told him plainly that he was engaged to marry agnoletta but he quieted it with the assurance that if he broke the engagement it would be for the good of that gentle creature i am an upright man he murmured to himself and it is my duty to sacrifice my personal pleasure to the welfare of the dear child and more than that she is sufficiently young and pretty and good to find a better fate than what would await her as the wife of a plain sabot-maker and the end of all these fine reflections was that thibault felt himself bound to allow his foolish promises of the day before to melt away into air and to forget the betrothal of which the only witnesses had been the quivering leaves of the birch-trees and the pink blossom of the heather it should be added that there was another mental vision not wholly irresponsible for the resolution at which thibault had arrived the vision of a certain young widow owner of the mill at croyel a woman between twenty-six and twenty-eight fresh and plump with fine rolling eyes not devoid of mischief moreover she was credibly supposed to be the richest match in all the countryside for her mill was never idle and so for all reasons as one can clearly see it was the very thing for thibault 
formerly it would never have occurred to thibault to aspire to any one in the position of the rich and beautiful madame paulet for such was the name of the owner of the mill and this will explain why her name is introduced here for the first time and in truth it was the first time that she had ever occurred as a subject of serious consideration to our hero he was astonished at himself for not having thought of her before but then as he said to himself he had often thought about her but without hope while now seeing that he was under the protection of the wolf and that he had been endowed with a supernatural power which he had already had occasion to exercise it seemed to him an easy matter to get rid of all his rivals and achieve his purpose true there were evil tongues that spoke of the owner of the mill as having something of an ill temper and a hard heart but the shoemaker came to the conclusion that with the devil up his sleeve he need not trouble himself about any wicked spirit any petty little second-class demon that might find a corner in the widow Polet's disposition and so by the time the day broke he had decided to go to coriole for all these visions had of course visited him during the night the lord of vez awoke with the first song of the birds he had entirely recovered from his indisposition of the day before and woke up his followers with a loud slashings of his whip having sent off marcotta's body to vez he decided that he would not return home without having killed something but that he would hunt the boar just as if nothing out of the way had taken place on the previous day at last about six o'clock in the morning they all went off the baron assuring thibault that he was most grateful to him for the hospitality that he himself and his men and dogs had met with under his poor roof in consideration of which he was quite willing he swore to forget all the grievances which he had against the shoemaker it will be easily guessed that thibault experienced little regret at the departure of lord dogs and huntsmen all these having at last disappeared he stood a few moments contemplating his ransacked home his empty cupboard his broken furniture his empty shed the ground scattered with fragments of his belongings but as he told himself all this was the ordinary thing to happen whenever one of the great lords went through a place and the future as it appeared to him was far too brilliant to allow him to dwell long on this spectacle he dressed himself in his sunday attire smartening himself as best he could ate his last bit of bread with the last morsel left of his goat went to the spring and drank a large glass of water and started off for the croyola thibault was determined to try his fortune with madame paulet before the day was over and therefore set out about nine o'clock in the morning the shortest way to croyola was round by the rear of Wagny and pisseleu now thibault knew every in and out of the forest of villers cotterets as well as any tailor knows the pockets he has made why therefore did he take the cretianella track seeing that it lengthened his journey by a good mile and a half reader it was because this lane would bring him near to the spot where he had first seen agnoletta for although practical considerations were carrying him in the direction of coriola mill his heart was drawing him towards precaimont and there as fate would have it just after crossing the road that runs to la ferte milot he came upon agnoletta cutting grass by the wayside for her goats he might easily have passed her without being seen for her back was turned towards him but the evil spirit prompted him and he went straight up to her she was stooping to cut the grass with her sickle but hearing someone approaching she lifted her head and blushed as she recognized that it was thibault with the blush a happy smile rose to her face which showed that the rising color was not due to any feeling of hostility towards him ah there you are she said i dreamt much of you last night and prayed many prayers for you also 
and as she spoke the vision of agnelette passing along the sky with the dress and wings of an angel and her hands joined in supplication as he had seen her the previous night returned to him and what made you dream of me and pray for me my pretty child asked thibault with as unconcerned an air as a young lord at court agnelette looked at him with her large eyes of heavenly blue i dreamed of you thibault because i love you she said and i prayed for you because i saw the accident that happened to the baron and his huntsman and all the trouble that you were put to in consequence ah if i had been able to obey the dictates of my heart i should have run to you at once to give you help it is a pity you did not come you would have found a merry company i can tell you oh it was not for that i should have liked to be with you but to be of use to you in receiving the baron and his train oh what a beautiful ring you have monsieur thibault where did you get it and the girl pointed to the ring which had been given to thibault by the wolf thibault felt his blood run cold this ring he said yes that ring and seeing that thibault appeared unwilling to answer her agnelette turned her head aside and sighed a present from some fine lady i suppose she said in a low voice there you are mistaken agnelette replied thibault with all the assurance of a consummate liar it is our betrothal ring the one i have bought to put on your finger the day we are married why not tell me the truth monsieur thibault said agnelette shaking her head sadly i am speaking the truth agnelette no and she shook her head more sadly than before and what makes you think that i am telling a lie because the ring is large enough to go over two of my fingers and thibault's finger would certainly have made two of agnelette's if it is too large agnelette he said we can have it made smaller good-bye monsieur thibault what good-bye yes you are going to leave me yes i am going and why agnelette because i do not love liars thibault tried to think of some vow he could make to reassure agnelette but in vain listen said agnelette with tears in her eyes for it was not without a great effort of self-control that she was turning away if that ring is really meant for me agnelette i swear to you that it is well then give it to me to keep till our wedding day and on that day i will give it back to you that you may have it blessed i will give it you with all my heart replied thibault but i want to see it on your pretty hand you were right in saying that it was too large for you and i am going into villers cotterets to-day we will make the measure of your finger and i will get monsieur duguay the goldsmith there to alter it for us the smile returned to agnelette's face and her tears were dried up at once she put out her little hand thibault took it between his own turned it over and looked at it first on the back and then on the palm and stooping kissed it oh said agnelette you should not kiss my hand monsieur thibault it is not pretty enough give me something else to kiss and agnelette lifted her face that he might kiss her on the forehead and now she said joyously and with childish eagerness let me see the ring thibault drew off the ring and laughing tried to put it on agnelette's thumb but to his great astonishment he could not get it over the joint well well he exclaimed who would have ever thought such a thing agnelette began to laugh <laughs> it is funny isn't it she said then thibault tried to pass it over the first finger but with the same result as when he put it on the thumb he next tried the middle finger but the ring seemed to grow smaller and smaller as if fearing to sully this virgin hand 
then the third finger the same on which he wore it himself but it was equally impossible to get on and as he made these vain attempts to fit the ring thibault felt agnelette's hand trembling more and more violently within his own while the sweat fell from his own brow as if he were engaged in the most arduous work there was something diabolic at the bottom of it as he knew quite well at last he came to the little finger and endeavored to pass the ring over it this little finger so small and transparent that the ring should have hung as loosely upon it as a bracelet on one of thibault's this little finger in spite of all agnelette's efforts refused to pass through the ring ah my god monsieur thibault cried the child what does this mean ring of the devil return to the devil cried thibault flinging the ring against the rock in the hope that it would be broken as it struck the rock it emitted flame then it rebounded and in rebounding fitted itself onto thibault's finger agnelette who saw this strange evolution of the ring looked at thibault in horrified amazement well he said trying to brave it out what is the matter agnelette did not answer but as she continued to look at thibault her eye grew more and more wild and frightened thibault could not think what she was looking at but slowly lifting her hand and pointing with her finger at thibault's head she said oh monsieur thibault monsieur thibault what have you got there where asked thibault there there cried agnelette growing paler and paler well but where cried the shoemaker stamping his foot tell me what do you see but instead of replying agnelette covered her face with her hands and uttering a cry of terror turned and fled with all her might thibault stunned by what had happened did not even attempt to follow her he stood rooted to the spot unable to move or speak as if thunderstruck what had agnelette seen that had alarmed her so what was it that she pointed to with her finger had god branded him as he branded the first murderer and why not had not he like cain killed a man and in the last sermon he had heard at wagny had not the preacher said that all men were brothers thibault felt wild with misgivings what had terrified agnelette that he must find out without delay at first he thought he would go into the town of bourg fontaine and look at himself in a glass but then supposing the fatal mark was upon him and others besides agnelette were to see it no he must think of some other way of finding out he could of course pull his hat over his brow and run back to wagny where he had a fragment of mirror in which he could see himself but wagny was a long way off then he remembered that only a few paces from where he stood there was a spring as transparent as crystal which fed the pond near Baisemont and those at bourg he would be able to see himself in that as clearly as in the finest mirror from st gobain so thibault went to the side of the stream and kneeling down looked at himself he saw the same eyes the same nose and the same mouth not even the slightest little mark upon the forehead he drew a breath of relief but still there must have been something agnelette had certainly not taken fright as she had for nothing thibault bent over closer to the crystal water and now he saw there was something bright that shone amid the dark curls on his head and fell over his forehead he leaned closer still it was a red hair a red hair but of a most peculiar red not sandy colored or carroty neither of a light shade nor a dark but a red of the color of blood with a brightness of the most vivid flame without stooping to consider how a hair of such phenomenal color could possibly have grown there he began trying to pull it out 
he drew forward the curl where it gleamed the terrible red hair that it might hang over the water and then taking hold of it carefully between his finger and thumb gave it a violent pull but the hair refused to come away thinking that he had not got sufficient hold of it he tried another way winding the hair round his finger and again giving it a vigorous jerk the hair cut into his fingers but remained as firmly rooted as ever thibault then turned it round two of his fingers and pulled again the hair lifted a little bit of his scalp but as to moving thibault might as well have tried to move the oak that threw its shady branches across the stream thibault began to think that he would do better to continue his walk to croyola after all as he remarked to himself the questionable color of a single hair would not hardly upset his plans of marriage nevertheless the wretched hair caused him a great deal of worry he could not get it out of his mind it seemed to dance before his eyes dazzling him like flames of running fire until at last out of all patience he stamped his foot exclaiming by all the devils in hell i am not far from home yet and i'll get the better of this confounded hair somehow whereupon he set off running back towards his hut went in and found his fragment of mirror got hold of his hair again seized a carpenter's chisel placed it so as to cut off the hair as close to the head as possible and keeping the hair and tool in this position leant over his bench and dug the chisel down with as much force as possible the tool cut deeply into the wood of the bench but the hair remained intact he tried the same plan again only this time he armed himself with a mallet which he swung over his head and brought down with redoubled blows on the handle of the chisel but he was as far as ever from carrying out his purpose he noticed however that there was a little notch in the sharp edge of the chisel just the width of a hair thibault sighed he understood now that this hair the price he had paid in return for his wish belonged to the black wolf and he gave up all further attempts to get rid of it end of chapter six recording by john van stan savannah georgia